All right. It has been over a month since I have preached a message, so I might be a little rusty, but uh, so give me some grace. But I'm, I'm excited for today. I am going to hold off, though I am really excited about 2024 and some of the things that God is putting on my heart and on our staff's heart. A couple days ago, we had like a full day together as a staff seeking God for 2024 and still kind of mulling over some of those words. But I'm going to hold off intentionally until next week and some of the weeks after to jump into a more full series or unpack some of the things God's speaking to us. But this is our first Sunday in 2024 together as a church. And there's just a specific characteristic of God that I wanted to talk about to almost feel like we are resting in together. There's so many characteristics of God. You guys know that? I mean, he is so vast. He is so big. And we could literally spend, really, we're going to spend eternity discovering the depths of each of those characteristics, the depths of his love, the depths of his grace, the depths of his kindness, the the depths of his power, his beauty, his brilliance. It's like for all of eternity, we're going to be discovering more and more of those things. But this morning, I, which hopefully gets you stirred, (laughs) he's not a dead, boring, dull God. He's alive and he's living and active and we have access to him by the blood of Jesus. Anybody thankful for that? Woo! Um, but specifically, I want to talk about God's mercy today. Our God is a God of mercy. Everybody say, God of mercy. He is a God of mercy. So that's the title of this morning. And I want every one of us, I've been praying this this morning, that we walk out of here experiencing a fresh touch of his mercy and letting it, letting it get deep in us. I think the concept of God being merciful is probably easily agreed upon, and you'll nod your head, and a few of you have already been shouting because I'm preaching on God of mercy. I love your feedback, by the way, but, but I want it to hit deeper uh, than just, woo, you know, I want it to go, wow, I'm actually being changed. I'm actually being transformed by God's mercy. It's actually marking my life. And let me just read this um, first verse to you. We're going to look at several, but Lamentations 3, 22 to 23 says this, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And look at his mercy. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Let me read that over us again. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Not a single one of us will ever reach the end of God's mercy because it's endless. If you think you've run out of God's mercy, he's been too merciful to you, you've done too many horrible things, and he's forgiven you too much, you have not reached the end. There's more of his mercy. And not only that, they're new. It's fresh and new mercy every single morning, every single day, every single month, every single year. I love thinking about God's new mercy, especially as we're starting this new year. I love thinking about it's new, it's fresh. How many of you guys experienced God's mercy in 2023? Just a little bit, yeah? Awesome, all of you have. (laughs) Not all of us have maybe acknowledged it clearly. Uh, But there is new mercy this year. Abundant mercy this year. It's fresh. And I just feel like the Lord really wants us to think about how extravagant his mercy is, how new it is, and how real we need to receive it. And one of my heart's, and I totally believe this is God's heart, is I don't want any of us walking into 2024 any longer. Okay, it's been seven days already. I don't want any of us walking into this year carrying things 
from last year or really years prior that God's mercy could deal with today and we can have a fresh start. I don't want any of us to be carrying weights, sin, shame from the past that God has dealt with by his mercy. And unfortunately, a lot of believers, even a lot of us, we carry things that have happened decades ago and that we haven't allowed God's mercy to touch the core of that to make us have a sense of, of freedom and lightness. And I just want God's mercy to, to touch us this morning. You guys okay with that? All right, let me look at one more passage before I get into a couple uh, Bible stories uh, today that we'll, we'll see God's mercy. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Let me read it, and then I'll highlight one verse. <clears throat> I love this passage. This is like one of my go-tos if I'm trying to remember, okay, what's the gospel? What's the gospel? Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. It says, And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all, everybody say all, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In that passage, great news. It just talks a lot about our state before Jesus came into the picture for our life. It talks about the abundance of God's mercy. And it's so clear that it, it, this gospel presentation, I'll call it, doesn't stop with a ticket into heaven. It's like, we were horrible, we deserved wrath and death, God had mercy, but then it, it keeps going. Then he like seats us in these heavenly places, gives us such worth and value, and allows us to partner with him in doing good works on the earth. This is crazy, y'all. And he reminds us this is all a work of his grace. This is nothing that we can boast about. But I just love this picture of the gospel. It's like more of the full picture. But look at verse 4 one more time. This is a, one little sentence or phrase I want you to see about God. But God being rich in mercy. Everybody say rich. Rich in mercy. You know what that means? He's got a lot of it. I know I've already communicated that, but it's, we can't, I can't communicate it enough. He is rich in his mercy. His bank account is full. He got billions and trillions, quote unquote, of amounts of mercy that he wants to pour out over us and he never runs out he lavishes mercy on us and let me talk about what his mercy does okay a little few more words that might be helpful his mercy washes us clean from our sin and our junk his mercy him being merciful means he actually forgives you has anybody done something wrong in this room you better raise your hand <laughs> 
Yes. But do you, his, God being merciful means he actually forgives you for that. He actually washes you clean from that. He actually no longer holds it against you, holding it over your head. He forgives. He is merciful. His mercy also means that he loves and accepts us and does not reject us or condemn us. His mercy is perfect. It is complete. His washing and cleansing of us from all of our sin and junk and shame and all the things, it is perfect. Perfect. When he washes us clean, he does it perfectly, completely. He doesn't miss an ounce. Woo! It's great news, guys. It's really great news. This is the power of the blood of Jesus. Talks about this, I think it's in Revelation 1, about the blood of Jesus washing us whiter than snow. Anybody enjoy the snow a couple days ago? That's fun. It's it's white. Really white. And he says his blood washes whiter than snow. He doesn't miss a single ounce. Some of us, you know you've messed up. You know you've sinned before in your past. You're thinking of significant sins maybe you've done. And maybe it's yesterday. Or maybe it was, you know, a few weeks ago. While in the lull of the break, you got a little bit lazy and you gave in to some fleshly things. Or maybe it was 5, 10, 20 years ago of significant places of brokenness in your life. I just want you to know the Lord fully cleanses, washes, restores, and has mercy on you. Every ounce of it. And guys, this is our only hope, is the mercy of God, <laughs> is, is the righteousness of God that he imparts to us, not that we work up ourselves. This is our only hope. You know what this means is that today, today you can have confidence in the mercy of God over your life. Today, you can stand before him confident that even though you blew it yesterday, let's call it yesterday, whatever that yesterday is, how long ago that yesterday was, even though you blew it, you stand before him. If your faith is in the blood of Jesus, you stand before him righteous and clean and washed. That is great news, guys. It, it really leads to joy. <laughs> if you start thinking about it, oh my gosh, I'm fully accepted by God. Oh my goodness, he loves me. Oh my goodness, he like... He delights in me. He smiles over me. Even in the midst of knowing that I'm weak and broken, and I'm not even going to say that you fully have overcome or gotten out of the sin, but if you fully have come before him and said, I have messed up and I've sinned, Lord, wash me, cleanse me, he does. And you are clean because of what he's done. Man, I want us to receive that this morning and want us to walk into 2024 just confident of God's mercy over our life and his kindness to us. So look at somebody next to you and say, God is merciful to you. Go ahead. Look him in the eyes. Tell him. And then look, look at him back and say, I believe it. Go ahead. Tell him. Say, I believe it. That's great. All right. Well, hey, I'm going to just focus in on two Bible stories, uh, one in the Old Testament, one in the New, where you see these key characters or key people experience the mercy of God. And there's, I think, different takeaways from these passages that could be really helpful for us, because I do, I do want us to think about God's mercy, the implications of it. Hopefully you feel it already and the weight of it, the, the joy of it, um, the good news of his mercy. Hopefully you're feeling that stirring right now by the Holy Spirit. But I want you to see a couple other things as I look at some of these passages, um, 
today. So we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. You can turn there if you want. Um, 2 Samuel chapter 11. Anybody know um, who one of the main characters in 1 and 2 Samuel is? Who? David. All right, yeah, David, but Samuel also. All right. I was hoping some of you said Samuel because it's true. But he dies in like kind of some of the first part. Anyways. <laughs> Great news. Okay, 2 Samuel 11. Um, and what I want to look at, and, you know, most of us are familiar with the Bible character of David, okay? Um, second king um, over the nation of Israel. And a guy that wrote a lot of the Psalms, okay? And he's referenced throughout the whole, all the scriptures. And um, Jesus, our Messiah, came through the line and lineage of David, because that was a promise and a covenant that the Lord made with David, that through your offspring, um, the Messiah would come. And I think most of us, when we think about the life of David, are thinking positive things about that guy. Like, yeah, he's a great guy. You know, like, man, I'm glad we remember him. Okay, but you know David had some really epic fails in his life. Yes? And I want to look at one of them. So for the sake of time and for all the details here, because it's just not a great story, 2 Samuel chapter 11 is the story of David's sin with Bathsheba. And most of us are probably familiar. If not, so totally okay. Let me recap the story. But um, David is supposed to be out in war, but he's at home. In a sense, it seems like it's portraying that he's agreeing with laziness, not doing what he's called to do. And in the, in, anytime we start to feel lazy or disengaged from what God's called us to do, it just gives so much more room for sin. So there's, you know, I didn't plan to say that, but just there's a heads up for all of us. If we're um, operating in laziness and disengaging from the things that God's called us to do, then just be prepared for even more temptation uh, for sin. So anyways, he sees Bathsheba, he wants her as his wife, and he takes her but she, uh, and sleeps with her and then finds out that she was pregnant. He's like, oh no, I'm going to get caught because she was already married. And so uh, his, or sorry, her, Bathsheba's husband was in the army, and so he tried to get her to come home to sleep with his wife, but he refused to because he was a faithful man that knew he wasn't supposed to do that while he was in battle. And so then David sends Uriah and uh, Bathsheba's husband out to battle on the front lines intentionally so that he would die. And so he does. And then let's, let's, uh, that, all of this was this massive cover-up and scheme that was evil in David's heart. Okay, and then I'm going to pick up the very end of the story here, verse 26 of 2 Samuel 11. <clears throat> it says, When the wife of Uriah, so that's Bathsheba, heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But look at that last phrase. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Okay. All I want to comment on is that is, is when we are talking about God's mercy, we're not talking about making excuses and making um, excuses for what we've done that's wrong. We're not talking about making it not sound as bad. I just love that phrase. The thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Okay, and we're going to see a continuation of kind of that theme of the acknowledgement of our sins. So let's go into chapter 12. And I'm going to read a big portion here, so try to follow along with me. But I do want you to be reminded of this story. 2 Samuel 12. The Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city. 
the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up and grew, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Verse 7, here's the mic drop. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. He shall lie with your wives in the sight of, his, of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. Woo! What an interaction there between Nathan and David. The next part, verse uh, 15 through 23, talks about David's response to this clear rebuke and what he does the next seven days and because it talks about the Lord was was faithful to that consequence and the child was afflicted and it says that David was fasting I think it says for a, a whole week yeah on verse 18 it says on the seventh day the child died and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead for they said behold while the child was yet alive we spoke to him and he did not listen to us How then can we say to him, the child is dead? He may do himself some harm. But when David saw his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, is the child dead? And they said, yes, he is dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. He then went to his own house. And when he asked, they set food before him and he ate. Then his servants said to him, what is this thing that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. But when the child died, you arose and ate food. He said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. So this, there's a lot to unpack in this story, but there's a couple of things I want to make sure you guys see. And one is that David sinned before the Lord. That little phrase, what David did, displeased the Lord. And there was there was the reality of David facing the weight or the consequences of his decisions. But here's one thing I want you to notice. The very first response out of David's mouth after Nathan clarifies that this is a rebuke against you, look at the very first and simple sentence that David says. It's found in verse 
13. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Period. So here is one piece of the puzzles we're talking about God being so merciful is it is so important to us as we are experiencing God's abundant mercy to make sure we are acknowledging our sin. We need to acknowledge that we have sinned. If we do not acknowledge we have sinned, then we're kind of trying to apply God's mercy to this ambiguous sense. But when we apply God's mercy to specific areas of our sin and brokenness, it tastes even that much sweeter and that much more powerful. 1 John 1, 9, one of my favorite verses, says if we confess our sin, God is what? He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. Isn't that great news? Okay, so from this story, we, God pours out mercy over David. He deserved a lot worse. Another thing I do want you to say was that this story is not immune to consequence of sin. By us experiencing God's mercy, it doesn't mean that there are no repercussions or consequences of sin. Okay? Now, when we get into other words in the English language based on our culture and what feels right to us, most of you would not like me saying that there are punishments for our sin, right? You don't like me saying that, right? Okay, all right. Some of you are like, why is he asking me? <laughs> okay. But I, I just don't want us to be confused, though there's conflict in our soul because of the culture we're in, where in a sense, any consequence or punishment for wrong is considered like, man, just be merciful. I want you to understand something. God's eternal punishment over you, if you are a believer, does not apply. Isn't that great news? If your faith is in the blood of Jesus to wash you of your sin, then you have escaped the eternal punishment of God. That is great news. Woo! I used to have a little sticky note in my office when I was a college pastor. And on hard day, here's what it said. It said, you want to hear some great news? Then I flipped it up and the other sticky note said, you're not going to hell. Honestly, it worked. <laughs> on the hard days, I was like, oh, yeah. You know, there's this thing happening. I'm stressed about this, and that didn't go like I wanted to, and someone's coming against me, and blah, 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 blah. But it's like, you know what? The gospel. I've been forgiven eternally. I'm going to spend eternity with the Lord. And the consequence and the eternal punishment I deserve because of my sin, Jesus took it on the cross for me. Woo! That's great news. But I, I, I'm not going to get more into it, but I just I want you to understand that it is biblical concept that there are consequences and repercussions to the sin and the mistakes that we make. And I think what matters a lot is how are we picturing the Lord's tone and attitude toward us in that? That makes a big difference. If you're considering him looking down at you, frowning at you, condemning you, holding your sin against you, and oh, I'm going to punish you because of this, that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is if I hurt someone by intentionally scheming against them that relationship is going to be broken and it's going to need time to repair and in a sense that's a repercussion or a consequence so to speak of my sin against them if i were to choose as a pastor of this church major immorality that would have major repercussions on this church and how you feel and how it affects me and my family and that's horrible to think about but i just you have to understand that God's mercy and the gospel is not completely uh, devoid of consequence for our decision. And I, you see it clearly 
in this chapter. But one more thing I want you to see here before I move on is, one, David had this intense emotional response, fasting, weeping, praying for this child. The child does die, but then afterwards he gets up, worships the Lord, and in a sense, what he's doing is he's moving on and he's moving forward. So though we acknowledge our sin, though we confess our sin, though there are, in a sense, consequences, it still means, like the still the next step is that we get up, believe God's merciful, and we keep moving in life instead of continuing to wallow in shame because of what we did. This is very important to keep moving forward. And last but not least, this is probably one of my favorite parts of this, is this is a horrible track, like this is a horrible account of David's life. But he continues to lead, and generations later, here is how David is described in Acts 13, 22. He is described... Generations later, David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. Even after an epic fail like this, here's what I want you to hear. It did not mar David's identity the rest of his life. This was a sin that he chose, multiple sins that he chose, but it did not change the reality of who God saw him to be and his identity. And some of us in this room, we need to hear that this morning because because of your past, you've taken on a false identity and you would never say that about yourself. I'm a child of God and I'm a lover of God. You might be more tempted to say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but man, I'm really, I'm really bad or "I've, I've done this thing. I just want you to know the Lord does not shift and change your identity because of your past sins. He sees you as a beloved son or daughter. You are a man or a woman after God's heart, and you're here today, and I hope you receive just a fresh start and able to move forward by the grace of God. Amen? That's good news for us. All right, we're going to go to the New Testament, look at one more story, and pick out a couple things here. So why don't you go to Luke 19. Uh, Luke 19, and we're going to look at a guy named Zacchaeus. Anybody heard of Zacchaeus before? What did he climb? (laughs) Climbed a tree. All right, let's look at Zacchaeus. So I think there's a couple things from this story that uh, might be helpful for us as we talk about receiving God's mercy with David. You know, we need to confess the reality of our sin. It doesn't mean it's immune to repercussions and consequences, but it does not mar our identity. It does not change who we are. We acknowledge it, we confess it, but we receive God's forgiveness and his mercy and we move on. From Zacchaeus, we're going to learn a couple other things that I don't want us to miss, and then we'll wrap up. Zacchaeus, Luke 19, 1 through 10. If you're there, say, I'm there. All right, that was most of you. If not, it'll be on the screen. It says, he entered, so Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So we hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone into, uh, into be a, the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, 
since he is also the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Awesome. Okay, a lot of us are familiar with that last verse. The son of man came to seek and to save the lost. That epic one-liner came from the story of Jesus interacting with Zacchaeus. So let's think about Zacchaeus for a second. There's a few one-liners in there that describe who he is. So who, who was he? He was a chief tax collector. Okay, most of us realize, or some of us know, tax collectors, uh, it wasn't just a normal job like, hey, uh, you know, I work for the IRS. <laughs> it was like their own Jewish people hired by Romans to, in a sense, extort the Jewish people to take more money than they were supposed to for their own benefit and their own good. But not only was he a, a tax collector, it says he was a chief tax collector, which most likely means he was overseeing lots of other tax collectors and instructing multiple people to take advantage of multiple of the Jewish people. So he's like high up there. He is deep into this cycle of injustice, so to speak. Okay, we also know that he was rich, probably because they took advantage of the people and took too much than they needed. We also know that he was short. Uh, it's, I mean, just the Bible said it. It's just interesting. I, you know, let the reader understand. I don't know why they mentioned that, but it is. Okay, so we can also imply that he was probably greedy, a little selfish. He was taking advantage of people. He was, in a sense, cheating people or lying. But one other thing I want you to see about Zacchaeus is that he was eager to see Jesus. And I don't want you to miss that because in the midst of his sin and his brokenness and all of this cheating and lying, he had something inside of him that he really was eager to see Jesus. And who knows all the intentions in his heart, but Jesus, by that point, was a known teacher, a known rabbi, or a known holy man. And if you're in a lot of sin, the normal response is to, like, not want to get close to Mr. Holy Man. But there is something inside of Zacchaeus that said, I, I want to, I need to see him. My guess is that probably Zacchaeus was aware of his brokenness. He's like, he already had got checked number one, he already knew and confessed, like, kind of, David, I've sinned. I know I'm messed up. I don't know how to get out of it. Maybe if I am, I'm so desperate, maybe if I see, climb this tree and see Jesus, maybe, maybe there's a chance for my life to change. So I, I see a hunger inside of him. And then in verse, uh, where is it? Six. I want you to see this. It says, he hurried down, so Zacchaeus hurried and came down, and it says this, received him joyfully. There's something about that word received. So Zacchaeus received Jesus into his house. He knows he's a broken mess, but he receives this holy man. And so what it speaks to me about us is we need to receive Jesus into our house. What is our house? What is Zacchaeus' house? It's like, it's like the place of Zacchaeus' privacy. It's the place where it's like not everybody has access to. It's a place where, in a sense, you're going to learn a lot about a person if you go into their home, especially if you go into their bedroom, okay? You're going to learn if they value clean rooms or not, all right? Maybe they value it, but they just don't have time for it because they have four kids running around all the time, <laughs> like us. All right, we value it, but man, it's hard to keep a house clean. <clears throat> but anyways, here, here's my takeaway from this is, Part of the process of receiving God's mercy is we let him in to the places of privacy that don't look pretty. We just go ahead and let him in. We don't, let, we don't keep any walls. We say, Lord, come on in to this broken, 
mess of my thought life where I know it's messed up, but if you don't come in, there's no hope to the perversion that's in my mind, to the vain imaginations in my mind, to the selfishness. You know, come on into my heart, Lord. You know that I've got some crazy ambitions. You know that I just care a lot about people and what they think about me, and I'm just craving for their attention. You know, but Lord, come on in. And I want to encourage us, if we want to experience the mercy and the transformation of God, let's let Jesus into our house, into this interior of our life. And the last thing I want you to see about Zacchaeus, there's not much, we don't know what they talked about over dinner. It's just this mystery. But all we know is Jesus came into his house, they had a meal, and then (laughs) people didn't like it, they've gone to this house of a sinner. And then verse 8, just out of nowhere, I don't know how long into the conversation, who knows? It says Zacchaeus stood, verse 8, he stood up and he said to the Lord, Behold, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. He has this really interesting response, but I think this is really telling uh, and helpful for us to see. Receiving God's mercy, if we're actually receiving the depth of us, should free us into what I will call just joyful repentance. Repentance meaning I am turning away, I am changing, I am doing something different, and I am, in a sense, being radical. Joyful and radical repentance is what we can call it. What we don't know is what Jesus told Zacchaeus, but I think that it wasn't just, just Jesus wrote down a list of, hey, here's what you need to do, Zacchaeus, okay? You need to stand up um, abruptly. <laughs> then you need to sell, you know, half of your goods, give it to the poor. And then if you've, def- you know, I don't, I don't know if the Lord gave him a prescription. It was just the overflow response of Zacchaeus encountering God's mercy. And when we encounter God's mercy for real, then we feel free to go apologize to people, to go say, I'm sorry, to give back, in a sense, what we've stolen, to humble ourselves and go low. And there's this scripture in Acts 3.19 that talks about how repentance is really this avenue into more and more of God's mercy. Here's what it says, Acts um, 13, uh, what is it? Uh, Acts 3.19 and 20. It says, repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing, everybody say refreshing, may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you. So part of the story of receiving God's mercy is confessing our sins, but also this repent, this turning. I'm going to change. I'm going to move things forward. Not to earn it. Now notice this. Zacchaeus already received God's mercy. Then it was the overflow of his response of, all right, I got nothing to lose now. I got nothing to lose. I'm going to go and sell things, and my life's going to turn around. We get it backwards when we think we have to do that, but then we'll receive God's mercy. That's not how it works. You'll never clean yourself up enough to be a candidate to receive God's mercy. Right as you are today, right now, in all of our messed up junk, he takes you. You need to receive that, then he'll change you. Then he'll lead you into repentance. Amen? All right, band, go ahead and come on up. Here's how we're going to close today is we're going to have some time to reflect on the areas of our life that we need to experience the mercy of God. And then we're going to take communion together and close it out with some worship. You guys okay with that? All right. Anybody thankful for God's mercy? Me too. All right, here's a couple questions 
that I think will be on the screen. I think they're there. If not, I'll just tell you. But a couple questions that I want you guys to think about. So if you have a journal, um, pull that out right now. If you don't, it's okay. Pull out your notes app on your phone. Or if you know you'll pay attention better by just sitting there, that's fine. I want you to engage with the Lord. But here's a couple things just to ponder and think about. One, for any sin I need to confess, repent of, and or receive God's mercy over. Number two, is there anything else, any weight, any struggle, pain, disappointment that I need to let go of as I start this new year? So you can think of anything that falls in that category where I just don't want to carry this into this new year. Then take a moment right now between you and the Lord and just lay that at his feet. I encourage you to take about two, three, four minutes to do question one and two. And then when you are ready, there are communion cups right under your chair. would encourage you to take communion. And after you take communion, feel free to stand on it up. Just worship as we close out this morning. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for your mercy. You are the God of mercy. And I pray that this morning you would bring to our minds just anything that we need to lay at your feet, lay at your cross. And Lord, we really leave it here this morning. And that 2024 will be a year where we are starting fresh, a fresh start. You're a God that gives fresh starts. We're not carrying any weights that we don't need to carry as we continue on this new year. Thank you, Lord. Come and meet with us as we process with you. In Jesus' name.